Awesome job. So grateful for our worship team, team of all volunteers today. Uh, so grateful that they show up and lead us week in and week out in worship. I'm grateful that you are here, that we can gather together to celebrate all that God is accomplishing in us and through us. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bible. We like to get right into the Bible here and turn with me to the book of Judges. Book of Judges. I don't know if you read the book of Judges recently. If you're new to the faith or just trying to figure it out, the book of Judges is in the Old Testament, which means it is near the beginning of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So near the beginning of the Bible, we're going to be in chapter 3 today, finishing it up in Judges chapter 3. And as you turn there, we're going to study this week and over the course of the next few weeks that's looking at the life and leadership of these judges that God gave to his people to lead his people. And I am so thankful for that more than 3,000 years, their stories, both the successes of their life and the struggles of their life have preserved for us in the pages of God's word so that 3,000 years later, we can look back and we can see their story of how they led. And in doing so, we are learning how we might lead others to experience more of God. We've said that here at Eastside, that is one of our core convictions, that we exist to lead others to experience immeasurably more by inviting them to exchange the common for the holy. That's just a really nice way of saying we exist to lead people to experience more of God, his power and presence in their life by inviting them to walk with God. And so whether you are leading at home with your family and your kids or in your place of work where you are a team leader or a boss of some kind or just leading up or whether you're leading at school or neighborhood watch or somewhere else, wherever God has placed us, we want to know how can we lead others well. And so that's what we're looking at week in and week out as we look at the life of these judges. Today we're looking at the life of a judge named Shamgar. And so we don't do this often, but if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Now, as you stand, normally we have a key volunteer who reads the Scripture for us week in and week out. Lindsay does an incredible job, but she gave birth to her first child this week, so we gave her one week off. We're hoping she'll be back next week. In all seriousness, though, if you want to, as a church, if you want to provide a meal for Nick and Lindsay, uh, you can, the information is on the, the worship guide. You can go online. You can fill it out. You can sign up if you want to serve those who serve us week in and week out, you can do that. But let's see how I can do reading God's word in Lindsay's absence. Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. This is the word of the Lord from Judges chapter 3. Please be seated. That's it for today, guys. Now, I know what you're thinking as we read that. You thought, you made me stand just for the reading of one verse. And in the back of your mind, you're kind of willing to forgive me because you're thinking, one verse? Like, we might make it to lunch on time today. Oh, ye of little faith. We have so much to cover in God's word. Y'all left me alone with this verse for two weeks. I missed the opportunity to share with you last week. But all joking aside, we are going to look at one verse from God's Word. We might make our way a few other places to kind of fill in the gaps, but we're going to look at one verse. And as we do, one of the things I want to do this week and every week is as we study God's Word together is I want to learn how to read God's Word together. In fact, when we come and we gather together as God's people and sit under the authority of his word together, I really have two goals week in and week out. It's not just to show up and tell you what I think God has to say. I want to teach you how to read God's word so that you can fall in love with God through his word. 
Like, I don't show up just to give you something so I can send you on your way, carry you through the week. Like, as we gather together and sit together under the authority of God's word, I want us to learn together how to read God's word so we can fall in love with God through his word. Because then when you go from here, you're not just going to take what I've said or what I've offered to you. You'll take a love for God and a love for God's word. You'll read God's word on his own. And I promise you, as we lean in and take action, he will change our life. So that is our goal. We're going to look through this one verse and see how a random verse in the Old Testament can change, speak directly to our story, and change our life. But we cannot do that on our own. So if you would, let's pray together as we get started. Father, we are so thankful uh, for your goodness and grace that allows us to gather together as your people. Father, for some of us, we have the privilege to show up week in and week out. And I pray that this week would be a special week. Every week is special. But this week, you would just speak to us through your word, that this Old Testament story, the story of Shamgar would come to life, that this story that was written nearly 3,000 years ago would shape our life. We call that sanctification, that you would shape us into the person you've called and created us to be, that we might leave today looking more like you than when we arrived. Father, help us to fall more in love with who you are and more grateful and aware of what you've accomplished for us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Shamgar, I want to read the text for today one more time. It says this, it says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goat, and he also saved Israel. That's it. Like, we've looked at these judges already. This is the third judge we've had the opportunity to look at. We've seen these, these long stories that are drawn out, the stories of Ehud and this, the prolific story of this man who showed up and saved God's people. Here, Shamgar gets one verse, and we think, one verse? But well, the truth is, that's more of, than, like, more of a verse than you got, right? Or more of a verse than I got. Like, I think it's so cool that as we look back through the Bible, we see these small stories. And some of these stories are my favorite stories for simply the fact that they're so easy to overlook. Like, if you grew up in church or if you've read through the judges, some of the big judges, they stand out, like Ehud and Samson and Gideon and these stories where several chapters have been dedicated to their story of how they faithfully followed God to lead his people. But it's these small stories, this single verse tucked into the grand story of God's providence and protection and provision for his people that I find so fascinating. And I find it so fascinating because God thinks it was significant enough to save his story for us in the pages of God's word. And before we even get started, I think this shows us that it doesn't matter how much others say about us or how much credit we get for what God accomplishes through us. What matters most, if we want to lead a life of significance, is that we're willing to lead others for the glory of God and the good of those he's calling to himself. Like, it doesn't matter how much credit I get. It doesn't matter how much credit you get. Like, if we want to lead a life of significance, it doesn't matter if we get one little snippet or a long story. We show up week in and week out because we want to see God change people's lives through his church. That we are here to lead others to experience immeasurably more by inviting them to exchange the common for the holy. This story, because of how short it is, is one of my favorite stories. And I think this story looks a lot like our story. So without further ado, let's read through this verse piece by piece. It starts like this. It says, after him. All right, let's stop right there for just a second. This is why it takes so long to make it through these, these verses, right? Because like there's so much hanging in every single word. And like, again, I want to show you, like, this is how we can read God's word. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and you're sitting on the edge of your seat to read what's next in Judges, this is how you read it. After him, after who? Well, it's after Ehud, who was the judge we looked at 
two weeks ago, the last judge we looked at, after Ehud, uh, God called Shamgar. Now, why is this significant? Because God's timing is perfect. It starts with a time marker. After him, after Ehud, God called Shamgar. After Ehud, God called Shamgar. God called Shamgar at the perfect time for Shamgar to save Israel. He didn't call him when it was time for Ehud to save Israel, who was before him. He didn't call him when it was time for Deborah and Barak to save Israel, who we'll see next week. God called Shamgar to save Israel when it was the perfect time for God to call Shamgar. Why do I stop there? Why do I say that? Because I think one of the biggest challenges we face as we follow God is to trust God's timing. Like, if we were just honest, like, we have a lot of questions for God. If, if I say, like, what questions do you want to ask God someday when you get to heaven? I think the questions that are at the forefront of our mind are the questions of the timing. God, why is it your timing? Why did it take so long to find the perfect person to spend the rest of my life with? God, why am I married to the person for so long? Like, it doesn't matter which side of the equation we're on, right? It's just like we question God's timing. Why do I have to wait? Or why did it come so fast? Or why is your timing the way it is? You fill in the blank with whatever part of your life you're questioning God's timing. But we so often think that we have a better sense of time than the God who stands outside of time. And maybe it's just me, but I think often that I know better of a sense of time than the God who stands outside of time, who sees time from beginning to end, from before creation to after. He sees eternity when we can only see the few seconds before our eyes. And I saw this very clearly this week in my own life. I uh, took my wife, and I have a young daughter, three-year-old daughter, and my wife is several months pregnant. I've lost track at this point, but we have a baby coming pretty soon. So we wanted to do one last getaway as a family of three before the baby arrives. And so I thought like, what is the perfect thing to do? We will go south and watch spring training games. My wife loves baseball. We're teaching my daughter if she'll participate to love baseball. And so a few weeks ago, we planned the spring training trip and I was really excited about it. My wife, Carissa, was excited about it. We even got Brighton excited about it. But I don't know if you've ever tried to get a three-year-old excited about anything. You have to like really hype it. So like we knew where we were going. We knew we were taking time off of work. We knew we were spending money. And so I've been hyping this trip for a long time. We're going to go see the, your favorite team, the Braves, play baseball. And we're going to watch them beat your mom's favorite team, the Red Sox, which was a prophecy. We did watch the Braves beat the Red Sox. But I said, we're going to go to dinner and we're going to go to the beach and we're going to go to the playground. And this whole trip, all my daughter heard was playground. We're going to go to the playground. It's like, man, we have a playground on every corner of our neighborhood, but we're going on vacation. All she asked from the moment we pulled out of the driveway, headed south, when are we going to go to the playground? And we got a late start on, like, Tuesday night when we left or something, way later than we anticipated, which is common in our family. And uh, we, were, we had dinner, and we got on the road, and we didn't get to the hotel until, like, 11 o'clock at night. So it was well after my daughter's bedtime. She was being a trooper. But we pulled into the hotel. It was after dark, and she said, Daddy, when are we going to the playground? Can we go now? And I was like, you don't want to see the kind of people that are at playground at 11 o'clock at night. No, we're going to go to bed. We wake up in the morning. First thing, we have tickets for the, to the Braves game that night, that afternoon, early morning. She said, well, are we going to go to the playground today? It's like, no, no, like, you, there's something better. The Braves, the baseball. Okay, so she, anyway, every step of the way, all she wanted to do was go to the playground. I say that. Because the playground is not the point, but the point is, like, it didn't matter what time of day it is. She had no idea that there were dinner reservations and baseball tickets. All she wanted was the playground. Right now, right then, whether it was 11 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning, we're going to the playground, go back to sleep, right? 
I say that because so often we do the same thing with God. God stands outside of time. He, I could see the whole trip. That's not that much. But he can see all of eternity. And he's working all things together for his glory and our good. And so often all we want is what we want in the moment. And I've been so convicted of this. I've told you over the last several weeks, several months at this point, one of my prayers, I've, I've tried to stop asking God for specific things for this season. And I just simply pray, God, help me see what you see and want what you want. Which really just means let me see what you see and want what you want in the time frame that you want it. Because I think, if I'm honest, that I have a better sense of time than the God who stands outside of time. When God called Shamgar, he called him at the perfect time. God's timing is perfect. Whatever season of life you find yourself in, whether you're in between jobs or waiting on a family or whatever season of life, waiting to retire, whatever season of life you find yourself in, God's timing is perfect. I think we're quick to look at how God is working in the lives of those who come before us and those who go after us, but if we aren't careful, we fail to see God's faithfulness to us in the moment. I love that the apostle Peter learned this lesson later in life. Because if you've read the Gospels, you know that Peter was always trying to run ahead of Jesus. I mean, you can think of so many different stories. One story after the next, he's just trying to run ahead of Jesus. At the end of his life, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he says, Jesus, at this time, they're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus says, can you just wait like 10 days, 10 more days. And Peter's like chomping at the bit and he's running too fast. So he's trying to slow things down. When they come to arrest Jesus, Peter takes out a sword and he swings for the guy that's there to arrest Jesus. What did he do? He cuts off his ear. Probably wasn't aiming for the ear, right? Probably aiming for the head. He wasn't good with a sword and he wasn't good with time. But the end of Peter's life, he began to understand that God knows what he's doing. And to the church, in the first century, and by extension to the church in the 21st century, the apostle Peter, who spent time with Jesus, said this. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He's saying God can see all of time. We can see one minute. God can see thousands of years in a single moment. And then he goes on. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now we know verses like this are in the Bible. And when we read these verses or when we hear these verses, we're like, yeah, I know. Like God's timing with my salvation. I trust him. I trust God with my eternity because we can't see eternity. We can't grasp eternity. But we struggle to trust God with our this moment. Like we can trust God when we read what Peter says. Yeah, he's going to take care of my eternity. A thousand years like that, dear, they days like a thousand years. We get that. We can't wrap our mind around it, but we get that. But what about now? Here's the thing. God has called you and God has called me and God has called his church to this moment on purpose to invite people to know him more. The Old Testament story, we won't dig into it, Esther chapter 4 God has called Esther to be a deliverer of his people, to plead his, the case of his people before an opposing king. And Esther was getting discouraged because she wasn't seeing God work the way she thought God would work. And Mordecai, her uncle, said to her in Esther chapter 4, he says, For if you keep silent at this time, and what he's saying, like, if you don't do what God has called you to do in this moment, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And it's just Mordecai saying, God is going to accomplish what God is going to accomplish. But make no mistake, Esther, he's called you to speak up in this moment. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Like, I love this verse. 
These are the verses that I look back and I realize, man, God is in control, not just of our eternity, but it's in control of this moment. After him, Shamgar, right? It was in this moment that God raised up Shamgar. And if we need help trusting God's timing, we don't have to look any further than Galatians chapter 4. Paul says this. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. He's saying that Jesus is always on time. He's always on time. He's very rarely working according to our time frame. He's never early, but he's never late. Jesus is always on time. God's timing is perfect. Trust God's timing. and not, let, let us be a people who trust God's timing and don't miss the moment for which God has called us. After him. Two words down, several to go. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath. Okay, so who is Shamgar? This is who we're talking about. So we know that he arrived at the perfect time. And here we get a little description of who he is. It says, Shamgar was the son of a man named Anath. Now, we don't know anything about Anath. We don't see his story recorded anywhere else in scripture. But we can glean a lot just from his name. Because in the Old Testament days, in those days, names actually meant something. Today, if you're naming a kid, what do you do? You just name it after like whatever name pops into mind, right? Like your favorite video game, you name a kid. I kid you not, we're having a, a daughter in a few months. And so uh, not too long ago, I was looking at the, the list of like most popular baby names from last year. And we had a daughter, uh, Carissa decided, my wife decided that we're going to name it after like family names. So I really had no say in it. I like the name, so we're just going to go with that. It has meaning and significance. But I was just like out of curiosity, like browsing other names. And I was reading the, the top baby names from last year. And for boys, like the seventh most popular baby name from last year was the name Maverick from Top Gun. And I was like, Top Gun was a good movie. Like, it was one of the first movies I've seen in theaters in a long time. It was a good movie. But there's literally a line. This is how you know, like, people didn't see the first Top Gun. Because there's literally a line in the first Top Gun that when he introduces himself as Maverick, the lady says, your parents must not have liked you very much. Like, I don't think people even look to see what the name means. I saw a really cool movie. The guy was a fighter pilot. We're going to name him Maverick. Today, we just name our kids whatever. we. But in those days, the names meant something. Anath means one who serves the Canaanite, Canaanite goddess Anath. Now, Anath likely wasn't a follower of God. Like if he was a follower of God and named after a foreign goddess, that's a pretty bad name. But that means that Shamgar, his son, probably didn't grow up with a very strong, faithful father figure. He didn't grow up with a father who instilled in him a deep faith commitment in God. Shamgar grew up with at best a divided family and most likely a family that knew very little, if anything, about the God he would ultimately give his life to serve. Which does beg the question, have you ever felt like God can't use you because of where you came from or even who you came from? Like you think back about your story, you look at your life up to this point and you think, man, if God only knew me, if he only knew who I was or what I've done, or maybe it's not even me, if God knew where I came from, God could not use me. Shamgar is evidence that you don't have to come from a faithful family to figure out how to follow God. Shamgar didn't grow up in a faithful family. In fact, Shamgar's name means sojourner there. Like he was a sojourner in a foreign land among a foreign people. So I'm going to guess, if we read between the lines and trust the names in the Old Testament meant something, that Shamgar did not grow up in a family with a faith in God, and he probably felt out of place 
among God's people. Which if I go out on a limb, I'm going to guess that many of you probably didn't grow up in a family with a deep faith in God, and at times you have felt out of place among God's people. If that's how you feel in any way, then Shamgar is a good story to offer encouragement. Uh, still, because still God chose to use Shamgar. I think some of the greatest stories in the Bible and some of the greatest stories even in secular history are stories of people who had to figure out how to follow God on their own. Just because you didn't come from a faithful family doesn't mean that God can't use you in a significant way. God has called you for such a time as this. He's been preparing you as he has raised you up for this moment to lead others. Here's how God used Shamgar. It says, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goat. He also saved Israel. All right, so who in the world were the Philistines, and what on earth is an ox goat? Those are very important questions. Who on earth are the Philistines? Well, the Philistines were one of the most prominent enemies of God's people at that time and for much of their history moving forward. God had brought his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led them into the promised land. He had driven out before them these enemy nations who hated God. But the Philistines kind of hung around. And they continued to move in and push out God's people from the promised land where God had led his people. And the Philistines continued over the course of the Israelite history to oppress God's people. Samson, who's a more famous judge, he would later fight the Philistines during his lifetime and during his leadership. Um, David, King David, who was famous for fighting Goliath the giant. Goliath was a champion of the Philistine people. The Philistines were a great military force who hated God and hated God's people, and they were constantly waging war with God's people. In fact, they got so bad in Shamgar's day that they would write a song about this time frame in Israelite history a generation later and talk about how oppressive the Philistines were. In Judges chapter 5 or 6, this song that they sang says, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept to the byways. I was going to try to sing it for you like in Old Testament, but I couldn't find the melody. Um, but this song became popular. They just kind of sang it along, among Israel. And what they were saying is that the days in Shamgar were so bad. Things were so bad among, uh, in Shamgar's day that the Philistines were so oppressive of God's people that God's people could not move about freely. They couldn't even go on a highway. They had to take the side roads and stay out of the way for fear of their life because the enemies of God were pushing the people of God out of the promised land that God had prepared for his people. And someone had to save God's people. And God chose Shamgar, and Shamgar chose an ox goat. So what is an ox goat? Honestly, I had to look it up. It's a stick about eight feet long that had a sharp point on one end that was used for prodding the oxen while they were pulling or plowing the fields. It was a long stick with a pointy end. It was nothing fancy. That's what Shamgar decided to use to save God's people. Was that the best instrument? Was it the, the best weapon? Probably not, but it's what God gave him. And the coolest thing about Shamgar's, Shamgar's story is that, God, that Shamgar used what God gave him to save God's people. All right, can you imagine Shamgar's life up to this point? He was born at a time when the Philistine people were so oppressive that he couldn't take the highway to and from work for fear of his life. 
the Philistines were waging war against God's people. So he was born at a time where he could not move about freely in the promises of God. His family was less than faithful in God. He probably had more questions about God than he had answers. But when he felt called to lead God's people, the only thing he could find to fight the Philistines was a piece of farm equipment. Like this, you can't make this stuff up. All of this packed into one verse. But the story ends, Shamgar's story, as far as we know, it ends with this. He killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also, what? Saved Israel. He also saved Israel. All of those things, working against Shamgar, his family of origin, the time that he was born, the lack of resources available to him, God still used him to set his people free from enemy oppression. His Shamgar's legacy was one of God using the foolish things of the world like an ox goad to set his people free from Philistine control. Which we might be thinking, this is a really cool story. Like, this is a really compelling story. But what in the world does it have to do with me? I'm glad you asked. Here's the thing. So often, God is doing the same thing today that he did back then. God calls a person to set his people free. And we look at our story and we think like we're part of a people. And we know that the reason we are gathered together is that God has called us to lead others to experience immeasurably more, more of God's presence, more of God's power, that God has called us to lead other people to experience God the way that we have experienced God, that he has set us free from sin and uh, temptations, or not temptations, but set us free from the the control of our temptations, that we might follow him, God, faithfully, that we might experience the, the goodness and grace of life lived with God. And we think about our story, and we start to think, if you're anything like me, about all of the excuses. You ever see clearly where God is calling you to make an impact? Like, you know the person that he has put in your path to invite, to walk closely with him, and all that comes to mind are excuses like, God, this is not a good time. Like, I'm trying to get promoted at work. If I speak up and talk about the promises and the power and the provision of God, then it's probably not going to go, well, this is not a good time. Or we start to think like, man, I am too young to tell someone about Jesus and change the eternal trajectory of their life. Maybe someday, or maybe you think, I am too old. Like that day has passed. I've missed my moment. I've missed my opportunity. You think, if God only knew me, if he knew the family I came from, people would not take me seriously. If he knew the life I had lived in the past, he would not take me seriously. If, if they only knew, and the excuses continue to flood to mind, like, God, I'm not sure if this is the place The oppression seems too strong. Like, what resources are available to me? I can barely, barely articulate who you are and what you've accomplished in my life. God uses the foolish things. I'm not calling you foolish, but if you were, God uses the foolish things in the world to shame the wise so that he can get credit for it, so that God can get glory. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, but he's doing it for his glory. And so often God uses us, not because of us, but in spite of us, so that he gets credit for it. I think about the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. If you have your Bibles, we're done in Judges. Flip over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church gathered in the first century of city of Corinth, a church not so different than the church gathered here. Uh, We have air conditioning. They didn't, but they dealt with the same kind of struggles that we deal with. And he said this. He says, for the word of the cross... Uh, actually, I'm going to start even further back. For, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. 
And what Paul's saying is that the message of the cross is not impressive to the world. Like, I didn't show up and had this well-articulated argument. The church at Corinth kind of took off, and they became an influential church, and became a church-planting church, and they grew large, and they grew wide. So they took off, and Paul says, all of this started when I showed up, and I told you about Jesus. Next verse. He says, for the word of the cross, verse 18, is folly. It's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense to those who are perishing. What he's saying is the word of the cross, meaning that we serve a Savior who is nailed to a cross. It seems like that makes no sense to those who are perishing. But to us, to the church, who are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. Shamgar killed 600 Philistines, the enemies of God, with the ox goad of a donkey. Paul shows up and he says, Jesus saved the world by letting his son be nailed to a cross. Neither make much sense, but God receives glory for both. He says it is written in the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God says it was never really my plan to do things according to worldly wisdom. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, again, the foolishness, the silly things of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. They want to see something impressive, something miraculous. And Greeks seek wisdom. They want to see something that sounds really, really smart. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Paul shows up, and think about this. We take this for granted because we're sitting in church 2,000 years later listening to someone preach. But Paul shows up, and he says, you guys are not going to believe what changed the world. You're not going to believe what changed the course of human history. It was a Savior nailed to a cross, and it has been people, ordinary people, traveling around from place to place, preaching, simply telling people about Jesus. And again, we take it for granted because we have 2,000 years of people standing up on a stage and preaching at you. But he says, no, 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 you're not going to believe this. Like what changed the world wasn't an army with swords and and spears and shields and military equipment. What changed the world was a savior nailed to a cross who gave his life to set his people free from sin, to bring them to a restored relationship with God. And it was a group of people, ordinary people, traveling around from place to place, from person to person, preaching, making an introduction, leading others to experience Jesus the way they experienced Jesus. And Paul says, I didn't do it with lofty wisdom. I just showed up and I told you about a man who came from heaven, lived a perfect life, let himself be nailed to a cross. We showed you where his body was buried in a tomb. We have hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw him raised from the dead. And we're telling you that he went back to heaven And he's doing something here so this world can go to heaven with him if they will just trust the foolishness of the world. And we say that. If you're anything like me, you think like, man, I know that, but I'm not sure I can articulate that. Like, that seems like a lot. Like, I've read the letters of Paul and he's well well thought out and he's well prepared. Paul didn't think so. 
He goes on in verse, chapter 2, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come, come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Like, I didn't have this thing all figured out. I didn't know the theological, well, Paul did know the theological terms. He was kind of writing the theological terms. But nonetheless, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think about that. When you go to talk to someone about Jesus, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, there's all these things. They're going to have all these objections. They're going to have all these questions. I'm not ready. They're going to ask about the dinosaurs. They're going to ask about, is the earth round or flat? Why that's still a question, I have no idea. But people sometimes put God and the flat earth together. I have no idea. Paul says, I didn't know any of that. I told him about Jesus. Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's a lot to think through. It's a lot to listen to. But all Paul is saying is when I showed up, I showed up with nothing except the testimony of a savior. He was crucified, he was buried, he was raised from the dead. I've experienced and you can experience too. And he's changed the world. And if it changes the world, then it will give God credit, right? The power of God might be on display. Here's what I want us to walk away from this message, the story of Shamgar. We live in a world where we're fighting the same enemy. The enemy of God is oppressing the people of God so that most people don't even know God. And he has called us, he has called his church to use what we have, where we are, when we have it, to share the message of the cross. That's it. My challenge to you is use the things that God has given you, as foolish as it might seem, a testimony about how you've experienced Jesus, the ox goad of a donkey, to save people from their enemy. It might be a conversation at a water cooler. Just a quick conversation about how God is changing your life. It might be a Bible story before bedtime with your kids that can change the eternal trajectory of their life. It might be a yard sign placed at an intersection. It might be one single invitation. Come with me and hear about Jesus. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Easter is like three weeks away. Three weeks away, the world is beginning to get spiritually curious. And for the church to capitalize on that, man, we want to go with something in hand, even if it's an ox goat, to invite people to experience Jesus. Over the course of the next few weeks, I want to encourage you, take some of these invite cards and invite people to come and celebrate Jesus with you. It says, join me this Sunday at Eastside Christian Church. It's got our time and our location. You don't have to go with all of the answers or everything figured out. Just be like Paul. I came without lofty speech or wisdom. I just came and told them about Jesus. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and your grace. What a privilege it is to gather together as your people to make much of you. Father, I pray that the story of Shamgar would speak to our souls. Not because it's impressive in itself, because it is a very real approachable demonstration of how you use the foolish things of the world like a judge wielding a farmer's equipment to set your people free. God, we are so thankful that we serve a risen Savior who set his people free once and for all through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that all we have to wield is the message of the cross that we can point back to a person 
that invites us to experience the power and the presence of God in a very real, very tangible, life-changing way. Father, I pray that you would use your church to lead others to experience immeasurably more by inviting them to exchange the common for the holy. We're so thankful for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.